The Encompass Group formed in 2002 with John Luke Spitler at the helm. John Luke is responsible for the vision, the direction of the organization, and he also manages the overall operations and resources of the company. He's a graduate of Texas A&M University. He holds a Bachelor of Business Administration. He serves on the board of directors at Liberty Christian School. He works with multiple charities and nonprofit organizations around the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And I want to welcome him. He's a friend. John, welcome to the Economic War Room. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, the Compass Group, I follow them. It's one of the fastest growing companies in the DFW area. It's phenomenal. I've watched, I've been to your offices when they were small, and then they got bigger, mm -hmm. then they got bigger. It's, it's a great company. What does Encompass do? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. Um, uh, the Encompass Group is really all things HR. So we like to tell people we're in the people optimization business. So if you were to think about every facet that falls under uh, the umbrella of HR, um, we either offer a technology solution, we offer consulting services for, um, we have partnerships with different groups, but we become uh, sort of a one-stop shop for human resources um, that encompass whatever the need of the organization we're serving is. You know, my father started, in his day, it was called industrial psychology. Okay. And he was the placement director for Skelly Oil Company. He was in senior in the placement director, or senior in the placement office for American Airlines. Uh, you know, so it, it, it's really grown. It was a tiny part mm -hmm. of American business when he was 1960s, when he was in it. Today, it mandates, controls, is responsible, is the boogeyman bad guy. Mm -hmm. It's sometimes the best thing a company can do, but the whole concept of HR is wrapped up in economic warfare in a sense. You know, mm -hmm. some people want to maximize individual liberty, and other people want to control people through HR. Mm -hmm. So you're right smack dab in the middle of economic warfare. Yes. So we're doing a lot of stuff. We're outsourcing to foreign nations. Why, why are so many American companies outsourcing to foreign nations, do you think? Uh, money. I mean, that's a, it's a simple answer. Um, so I would tell you that the reason you see more and more companies um, continuing to push jobs overseas, um, there's regulatory issues specifically in manufacturing and things like that for us to try to, um, for us to, try to be competitive here in the U.S., um, in addition to that, a lot of the jobs um, that they're pushing overseas, we just don't have the people for. Um, this is a, a crisis in our nation. I don't know why it's not talked about more, um, but the population shortage, the labor shortage, um, this is something that is very real in our country. Um, and so I think that uh, for that reason, then obviously the economic aspect of where they feel like they can gain, um, unfortunately we continue to lose jobs uh, elsewhere. And yet, I would say the average consumer looking at a product or a service, they're going to say, hey, look, I don't care if it's a little more expensive, if it's got the old Made in America quality to it, if it's presented and provided. And, you know, how many times you pick up a call center and make, make a call and they can't speak English and you're yeah. trying to get a problem solved. So I think the American people are frustrated that we're not employing as many Americans as we could. And yet, here's your firm. Helping companies make the bottom line more effective is a well-trained, well-resourced, cultured employee. Aren't they going to add to the bottom line as much as outsourcing? I would agree with you. I would say yes, uh, probably tenfold. Um, and I agree with your comment. I do believe that the average consumer is willing to give more for that aspect. I can't say that I would say the same about Wall Street. Um, I think the, the people who maybe are pulling the, the, the strings in the end um, are not thinking like a normal, everyday American consumer. 
Um, when you talk about the employees um, individually, when you talk about a, um, someone who is ingrained in a company culture, someone who is engaged in what they do, someone who enjoys what they do, um, absolutely, you're going to find a different level of commitment, a different level of output, um, and certainly I think all of that impacts the bottom line for any organization. So um, I, I do think that there is a, a duality here where um, they're trying to fight the norm of, oh, we're supposed to be outsourcing jobs, and yet at the same time, you can't argue with the value of having dedicated employees who are happy and engaged and what they bring to the table and contribute to the bottom line. You know, when you say that, I, I think of, if you take a, a McDonald's and a Starbucks and a Subway combined, in, six, in seven days, they produce less revenue than a single Chick-fil-A does in six days because mm -hmm. they're closed on Sunday. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between those three obviously great, successful mm -hmm. franchises and a Chick-fil-A? Well, I believe it starts with culture, um, and that is a, a top-down. I mean, when you talk about Truett Cathy and just the values and the beliefs and the, um, the, the way he um, led the organization, um, that was adopted across a mass number of, of Chick-fil-A's. Um, they've continued that today with training and development, the way they teach, the way they instill these values, they practice these values. I mean, we were talking about my pleasure and, and all of the different aspects of that, as opposed to a job. Um, and it, I'm not, nothing against those other restaurants that you named, but they are certainly not known for their development, for their training, for their culture. Um, they're known for um, kind of a low wage, uh, job for people to have as opposed to I'm part of an organization, I'm part of a team. Um, and I would argue that, that, that is the, uh, that's the fastest answer I can give that to me makes the most sense. And, and honestly, they figured that out as well. And I think that's why they push it so hard. So every business owner I know wish, wishes that they had the success of a Chick-fil-A. Oh, I wish we could grow like that. I wish we had that loyalty from customers and so forth. Um, what I hear you saying is that you've studied all of that, plus like the Ritz-Carlton's of the world mm -hmm. and so forth, and, and your HR function that you're bringing to people is helping them adapt and, and build that culture into their business. It is, yes. So I think the most important thing is to begin with purpose. Um, any organization, I mean, Chick-fil-A, they knew exactly who they wanted to be, what they wanted to do, and how they wanted to do it. Um, the Ritz-Carlton is another perfect example of that. They, they know exactly who they want to be. They know who they don't want to be. Um, and so I think when organizations fundamentally begin with their purpose, they build their values off of that. They then instill, they model that, they teach that throughout their organization across location, department, division, whatever it is. Um, I think instantaneously you see an enhanced culture, you see a higher adoption rate of those values. Um, and as a result, each one of these organizations, they begin to thrive. Well, what I'm, I'm concerned about is, is while I love that, and I think you can train that and help people adapt that, I'm also concerned with the Wall Street, and you mentioned mm. Wall Street, where their culture is to maximize uh, short-term profits and earnings and flip it and sell it, but also those that have adapted um, really uh, woke principles mm. with the idea of forcing, you can't say Jesus you can't have a cross on your, on your um, lapel. You can't do any of those things. So we're gonna need to take a break. When we come back, I wanna talk about how you can have a solid, good, cohesive culture, but also let employees express their own religious freedom. Absolutely. 
John, we're talking about um, employment, the HR function, and so forth. I've got a new report from Gallup that says that large numbers of workers, especially Gen Zers and young millennials, are not engaged with their jobs, and that could make their climb up the career ladder harder, as well as hurt companies' overall performance. This is from an NPR story. Mm -hmm. Employee engagement has fallen since 2020. The Gallup survey of roughly 67,000 people in 2022 found only 32% of workers are engaged with their work. And that's down from a very low number of 36% in 2020. Mm -hmm. How do we fix that? How do we get people engaged? Well, that's a, that's a, a fantastic question with a lot of different answers. So there are different facets. So um, I would tell you that, again, um, when you talk about employee engagement, uh, the employees who find meaning in their work, um, that immediately elevates engagement. Um, so not just knowing what it is I'm doing, but understanding how what I do impacts the organization or the greater good for what we do. Um, that's something that organizations do not spend a lot of time working with their staff to help them understand that. Um, and it's, it's a huge missed opportunity. Um, I think another challenge that we face is, and really if you look back at the years you're talking about, there's been a big shift culturally of remote work, work from home, um, isolation is a huge problem for employees, they feel disconnected. Um, and I feel like we're ultimately cheating our future uh, leaders. Uh, because when I was growing up in, in the business world, um, most of what I would gather, most C-level executives, it's the soft skills. It's what you catch. It's not what you're taught um, in school. And when you're not around um, the rest of the, the leaders, when you're not around those people in the organization, when you don't have that collaboration, the level of engagement just goes away. And I don't feel developed, which is the number one reason why people are leaving jobs today, is they feel like they're not being developed, they're not being cared for, they're not really gaining or growing. Um, and as a result, they have to look elsewhere for that. And so there's a lot of reasons why engagement is continuing to fall. Um, the good news is it's not a lost cause. There are things that organizations can do to turn that around, and we need to be doing it now more than ever. Yeah, it, I think you're telling me it's a fixable problem, but here's another problem. I'm gonna take it even further. Not only are they not engaged, but they're told not to be themselves at work. You, mm -hmm. If you have your faith, don't bring that here. You have no place for faith in this organization. But in your company, faith is active and it's involved. I know your corporate chaplain because mm -hmm. he's the corporate chaplain for Economic War Room. And, and he's in there meeting needs and sharing and praying for people and you don't shy away from that. Are you afraid you're gonna get in trouble? Um, no, and I would tell you that I think there are organizations out there who do not embrace, uh, maybe being purpose-driven, do not embrace faith in the marketplace um, for fear that maybe they're putting a target on their back. Um, again, something that I'm very passionate about, but the, the rules and regulations that the EEOC enforces to protect employees are the same rules that are in place to protect me as an employer. Um, and so we made the decision uh, years ago um, for our purpose to be that we glorify God and enrich the lives of others. Um, now, we're open to all faiths. It doesn't mean that if you work within our firm um, that you have to adopt or embrace our beliefs. Um, but you have to understand that that is the fundamental principle in which we lead our organization. Um, and because of that, um, we've actually found that people are more open about their faith, even differing faiths. Um, they feel more comfortable. It's, more, it's not taboo. Um, to speak about or to engage in in our office. And so we found the exact opposite. And I think there are organizations across the U.S. who are understanding more and more and more the value and actually the freedom to do so uh, without fear of, of, uh, of retaliation. You know, I was at, at a um, 
banquet uh, just the other night. It's actually a board dinner for First Liberty Institute, which is Kelly Shackelford, and they do great work on religious liberty. And, and we had a short video from Coach Kennedy. Uh, you may or may not know the Coach Kennedy story. Uh, he, he was on the West Coast, and after every uh, game, he'd go out silently and, and kneel mm. at the 50-yard line and say a prayer. Mm. And they fired him. They took, warned him and then mm. fired him. It went all the way to the Supreme Court twice, and he got his job ordered by the court. You have to rehire him. You cannot fire. It's religious mm. discrimination. But they drew a big circle around him and said, no kids can join you. And, and then, okay, well, if they join you, you can't invite them. And mm. you know all of these rules to try and prevent him from expressing. Here's a great coach who obviously loves people and loves his player. And all he wanted to do was take a knee at the end of a game and say thank you to Jesus for the game. Mm -hmm. Now we have no problem with somebody taking a knee at the beginning of a game to mm -hmm. protest the flag or protest mm -hmm. anything else. Uh, that school system got in trouble because as you pointed out, mm -hmm. the actual constitutional laws protect religious expression. Are you finding that your employees, and I've been to Bible studies at your office, mm -hmm. are you finding your employees are more engaged because they can bring this important part of themselves into the workplace. Yes, I, I would tell you that um, a recommendation that I would have for every company in America is inviting your employees to bring their whole self to work. Um, I had a young man who's in college come in yesterday. He met with one of our uh, leaders and he sent me a follow-up text afterwards just thanking me for taking time to visit with him. Um, and he said, I'd love, to, I'd love to continue our conversation and understand how you bridge or balance your faith and your business. Um, and I find that question so interesting because um, for your viewers who have faith, I don't see a separation yeah, between a my faith and how I do my business. I see them as all one thing. Um, and I think that organizations who try to separate, they find that they have more challenges um, and because it doesn't make sense internally for them either. Um, and so I think opening, opening the doors of transparency and honesty and bringing your whole self to work, um, I think naturally people feel more comfortable, they feel like they belong, it creates a safer environment um, to be who they are. And, and so we've seen it be nothing but uh, beneficial for our organization, and I'm, I'm telling you there are plenty of organizations out there who are experiencing the exact same thing. And what, they, what you do in that case is you align with the goals of the corporation because the corporation's meeting and fulfilling your needs and you see what it's accomplishing in the earth. So you're like, of course I want to see it succeed. I, mean, I can't tell you how many CEOs that I talk to who say, I, I only wish I could get my employees on board with this. Yeah. And that's because you're not actually wanting, you're wanting robots perhaps on mm. board. You're maybe not wanting actual employees. The whole diversity, equ equity, and inclusion we talked about this before mm -hmm. we came on air, and you said, I'm actually a big fan, not of mandated top-down mm -hmm. diversity, equity, inclusion, but on a person-to-person -person basis, it makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, to me, uh, diversity and inclusion is one of the most beautiful things. Um, and as a as believer, um, I would tell you that heaven is a perfect example of diversity and inclusion. And so um, I think we just need to frame our mindset around uh, DE&I. Um, in the manner in which it was intended, and I think it's it's wildly beneficial for every organization. Yeah, the purpose is not to make it a top-down mandate. It's to make it uh, something that comes from the heart. So the CEO and all of the officers have to focus uh, to, to make sure that they're maximizing the employees, and then the employees will set their hearts to maximizing the corporation. Everybody wins from that. We need to take another break. When we okay. come back, I want to talk more about Encompass Group and your keys to success. 
John, you built a successful business with Encompass Group, and I've looked at your website, and you've got five different things that you offer. Talent mm -hmm. acquisition is the first one. Yes. Tell us what, is, what that is and how you identify good talent for companies. Absolutely. So that's exactly what it is. It's identifying and attracting um, top talent to our customers. Um, and so we do that through a myriad of ways, obviously looking at resumes to um, source and see years of experience, time on a job, um, education. Uh, but again, I feel a resume is only um, part of the picture. Um, and so really spending time getting to know an individual, understanding what their, their goals and aspirations are for their career, what they're looking to achieve for their family, um, cultural values, alignment, all of those things and bringing those together uh, with our customers who are looking to hire. So what are the universal characteristics that you find? I mean, are you looking for heart? Are you looking for brains? Are you looking for background? What, what are the universal things? Well, yes, and. Uh, so I think we look for all of those things. Um, again, the experience, I think, is, is, is very um, important because uh, somebody may be looking for someone with certain certifications that you can't achieve until you've been doing something for a certain period of time. However, I think the work ethic, I think the values, I think um, the type of individual and what they're looking to do and where they're looking to go in their career, um, I think that all of those things have to come together for alignment to make a good fit. Um, I think if you just have experience but you've got the wrong values, if you have the right experience but you have the wrong motivation, um, then obviously your, your success chances are, are significantly reduced. Well, like on a dating website, you can look at a statistic and say how many of those that we paired up get married. How successful are you at talent? Um, we have a tremendous fill ratio. Um, I would tell you, though, that there, there are plenty of calls where we, we pass and we move on. Um, there are organizations that we're not necessarily a good fit to partner with. Um, their values, their, uh, their approach to business, their approach towards their people does not align with who we are, and therefore we wouldn't be the best partner to go tell their story in the marketplace. Um, and then certainly there are individuals uh, on, on the other side of that equation who, um, you know, maybe they're only motivated for one thing. Um, they've got maybe some... Uh, some trouble in their background where they're telling us maybe not the full truth. And so, um, again, we're looking for the alignment uh, across the board for all of those things. But um, there are certainly some examples where it's not a good fit. Yeah, but you have good success or not? We do. Okay. We do. I would tell you, I mean, our, our fill ratio is, is very high. I mean, if I had to give it a percentage, it's somewhere in the A, B um, scenario. But people are a variable. Anytime you're dealing with people, yeah, uh, it is a, um, it's a moving target some days. Okay, and then you also offer HR technology solutions. How do you do that without being hostile to faith? Oh, well, all of our technology is, I would say, is completely unbiased. Um, so payroll, timekeeping, um, expense reporting, performance evaluation, benefit administration, um, these are really just rules-based systems that we're putting in place. Um, from a faith perspective, I love technology. I think, um, I think it's a gift that we have, uh, the creativity that God has given us. Um, to be able to to build technology, to leverage technology, so um, it's it's a it's a it's an awesome part of our business that we really enjoy creating higher levels of automation and efficiency, so that they can actually focus on their people, not all the processes that they're having to deal with on the back end. Okay. Well, here's a term that popped up on your website that I haven't heard since college. People don't talk about this on Wall Street, or very rarely do they. Uh, human capital. Yeah. What does that define as? You know, I don't love the actual terminology human capital, um, but it's, it's really about um, an organization's people, right? So the human element of what we do. Um, I think the term capital, we would look at capital equipment, we would look at something right. along those lines. Or money. Yes, yeah. and arguably the most valuable resource, the most valuable capital that an organization has should and always will be their people. 
Um, and so ultimately, um, helping companies focus around their people. Um, we consult around that. The technology supports that. Um, but ultimately, to really view their people as people and a, and a real resource. Yeah, and otherwise value. you view them as cattle, right? That's it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> They'd be human cattle. That's, that's not a great culture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so what is workplace transformation? So our transformational consulting uh, division is fairly new for us. It's something that we've been doing for years, but we haven't actually formalized that until really just the past few years. Um, but this is an opportunity for us to come in and work with organizations on, um, on their culture, on leadership, on followership, um, and really building out kind of what their, their goals, their outcomes that they're looking to uh, achieve in the organization. So if you were to think of business strategy, everybody understands business strategy. But coming together and consulting with them on developing their people strategy and then bringing those things together, that's where ultimate success lies, I think, for the future of the work workforce. And then you've got this E3 Leadership Academy. What yes. is that? So we've launched a new academy. Uh, again, it's taking a lot of the content that we would teach uh, from our consulting division. Um, and rather than us going all over the U.S. Uh, uh, to meet with different groups, um, we formalize this to bring in groups uh, to our organization. Um, we get them out of their element, get them away from the distraction. Uh, we have them for about a day and a half at each uh, interval. Um, and then we can actually sit down and we can talk in a cohort-based environment uh, about those same topics, about culture, about the stories that we tell, um, the mindset that we hold, um, the, the leadership aspects, the followership aspects um, of leading people. Um, and so we're very excited. Uh, the Academy is actually a new initiative for us. And so how's it um, going? It's going fantastic. We've had a tremendous response. Um, we've actually tiered it into two groups, one for um, C-suite executives, uh, maybe somebody who's um, going to be transitioning to take over an organization, um, and then kind of that, that rising star. Uh, and so these are the, the next gen leaders um, who are looking to be developed in some of these same facets um, so that later in their career, they can be the people who are leading the organizations from the top. Well, congratulations. You're doing a great job. Thank, Thank you. you so much for what you're doing. I wanted to bring John in because I've heard him. We, we, we were driving looking at, at, um, at Hunter's bows one day. I got in his truck with my daughter. He, he bought her a, a new, she wanted to shoot bow and arrow, and he, he bought her a new one, set her up, showed her how to do it. A, a real people person, we started talking, what do you do? What does Encompass Group do? And he explained it to me. It's about building culture, developing culture. And that's not something we consider very often in the economic war room, but it is a part of the economic war. We have a battle between cultures, a top-down, turn people into cattle, uh, serfs on the plantation culture that is the World Economic Forum's push, and they claim that they're diversity, equity, and inclusion, and they're not. They're the opposite of it. They claim to care about the environment, but really what they're doing is, is really bad culture for us. And here's John who brings a Christian perspective, has built a great group and is working with a number of amazing companies and helping bring that culture back. That's how we win the economic war. It's all about people. It's not about money. And that's the, the real key. So we're going to summarize all of this in our free economic battle plan. You get a copy of this at economicwarroom.com. And I'm going to urge you to do that. But I'm also going to urge you to go and learn more about John Spittler and the Encompass Group. And we'll put all that in the battle plan. We need to find a way to develop a proper, loving, caring, compassionate culture. That'll set us apart. That's how we win the economic war. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies, they view this as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.